If you would stand with me, we're actually going to read our text uh, together. Stand with me, turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 28 to verse uh, 39. It's probably going to take about three minutes, so you'll be standing for about three minutes. And just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through uh, his word this morning. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he called, these, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, isn't that good news? Isn't that good encouragement for us this morning? You can have a seat and we'll dive into this text uh, this morning. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Remember, Paul is writing during the Roman Empire and the Romans would go out and conquest and conquer cities, nations, countries, come back to Rome and would have a victor's parade, a conqueror's parade. And Paul is using that imagery here to say, we are more than conquerors. We're not just victorious, but we're more than victorious in Christ. So we're going to look at three ways that we're more uh, than conquerors. We're more than conquerors through his promises. We're more than conquerors through his favor. And then we're more than conquerors uh, through his love. Let's pick up in verse 28. We covered this last week, but want to set the stage for verse 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things, this giant bucket, all things. God's able to take what others mean for evil and be able to turn it around for good. To those that are the called, those that are his children, called according to his purpose. We have to ask the question, good according to whose perspective? Is it good according to my perspective, to your perspective, or good according to God's perspective? According to God's perspective. We might think that this is a promise that everything is going to go our way. No, this is a promise that God is able to use things for his purpose and his glory. So this is the first way that we're more than conquerors is through his promises. 
Because as we go through difficulties in life, we face our sin, our shortcoming, the sin of others, the difficulties and trials of this world. For us as believers, it's so important to know that God's hand, we sang it this morning, reigns over it all. And he's able to take these puzzled pieces and put them together to work out good. Now, the good that God is aiming for is actually found in verse 29. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God's aim, his mission, is for us to be conformed into the image of his Son. We're encouraged here in verse 29, Whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So God knows everything about us. He foreknew us. What's so amazing about this is God knowing everything about us would still choose us. Isn't that amazing? Predestination, God calling us, can really twist our brains, trying to figure out how all of that works with free will. But I hope that you understand the heart application is God knowing everything about us, foreknowing us, would still choose us. Because I'm convinced if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to hang out with me. And if I knew you, I really wouldn't want to hang out with you either, right? We get tired of our own selves, our own sinfulness. And it's amazing. God knows us better than we know ourselves. But yet, he still chose us. He still predestined us. What does this word predestined mean? It actually means to be determined beforehand. God's predestination, his calling, is based upon his foreknowledge. A good example of this is you've got a parade. Maybe it's a Memorial Day parade. Let's say it's in New York. You're watching it at street level, three or four floats at a time, right and to the left. But then there's the Goodyear blimp that's able to see the whole entire parade. And God's able to see our lives, and he knows the decision that we're going to make in regards to the gospel, in regards to to Christ. So, So his determining is based upon foreknowledge. One of the things that's difficult to understand in Scripture, as you read it and study it from Genesis to Revelation, is predestination is in the Scripture. It's a biblical doctrine of God calling us, of him determining beforehand. But also, we have verses in the Bible that speak to free will. And these truths seem to be almost opposed to each other. How can God predestine us, but still give us an opportunity to choose? But both are true. We have verses like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You have to believe. If you don't choose to believe, Jesus goes on to say you're condemned already. All the way back in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them with free will and he created them with a choice where they had a a choice to make to whether to obey God or not. Why did God do that? Because he wanted a, a genuine loving relationship. So as we study the scriptures here at Calvary, when we're at sections of scripture that focus on free will, we're gonna teach that. When we're on sections of scripture that focus on predestination, we're going to teach that because both are are biblical. And you go, well, wait a second. That doesn't fit into our brains. Well, if God was small enough to fit into my brain, he's not big enough to worship. So God chooses us 
but he also holds us responsible to choose in our free will. So the purpose of us being predestined is to be conformed to the image of his son. So this helps us understand good from God's perspective. There's trial in my life, there's difficulty, there's things that I don't understand, and God's able to use it to conform me to the image of Christ, and God goes, oh, this is good. This is good. This actually resulted in you being more Christ-like. If we don't understand God's mission and and purpose in our lives, I think we're going to get really frustrated. If we think that God's goal for us is to be happy, we're always going to be frustrated. God's goal for us is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And don't get me wrong, there's abundant life found in being conformed to the image of Christ. There's the fullness of fellowship with Christ that's offered there, but it's not this easy life where everything goes our way. My dad and I, we look a a lot alike. All growing up, I I heard, oh, you look like your dad. You, You look like your dad. Wouldn't it be great if people spent time with us They said, man, I see Jesus in you. I see Christ's likeness in you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if if coworkers are like, there's something different about you. I can't quite figure it out, but, but there's something different. And we know, well, that's the Lord. That's what God has done in my life. So God in his goodness, which causes us to be more than conquerors, is able to take all things, difficult circumstances, and use it to conform us to the image of Christ. And the purpose of him conforming us to his image is that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. To be this testimony, this witness in the world, so those that don't know Christ could see a living God and become children of God. Verse 30 is so encouraging. Moreover, whom he predestined, who he determined beforehand, These he also called. He called us to himself. Whom he called, these he also justified, if you remember, means to be declared righteous. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Notice all of these are past tense. Glorified. Our Father's not up in heaven this Memorial Day weekend saying, I hope those knuckleheads make it. I hope they they make it to everlasting life. He sees us already as glorified, as justified, declared righteous, glorified. He knows he's going to be faithful to finish that good work that he started in us. He sees us from that perspective of what he is going to complete in our lives. We, we are glorified. So allow these to hit home for just a minute. If you're in Christ, you are predestined. If you are in Christ, you are called. If you're in Christ, you're justified. If you're in Christ, you are glorified. If you're like, I'm not sure if I'm in Christ or not. Well, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to trust him as as your savior and find yourself in the family of God. So we're more than conquerors in his promise. Verse 31, we're more than conquerors in his favor. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What do you think? If God is for you, who can really be against you? Well, the Apostle Paul had a lot of people against him. 
He was persecuted for his love for Christ. He was thrown in prison. He, he could have listed a lot of people that were against him, but what he's saying, in light of the fact that God is with me and that he's for me, really nobody's against me because nobody can stand against God. So are you fully convinced that God is for you? That he's for you? Or do you picture God where he's angry? Maybe he doesn't have your best interest in mind. Or are you in a place of knowing, I'm more than a conqueror because I have God's favor. He's, he's for me. I may not always understand the circumstances in my life, but I know he's using them for good and he's for me. So who can stand against me? If you turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament, Elisha has a servant that needs to understand that the Lord is with him and that the Lord is for him. So this is 2 Kings chapter 6. It's quite a scene. It's quite a setting. The Syrian army is tired of Elisha having the inside track of their movements. God's speaking to Elisha. Elisha goes to the Israel army and says, this is what the king of Syria is up to. So the king of Syria says, we've got to get Elijah. If we're going to win this battle against the Israelites, we have to get Elijah. So he sends his army in to surround where Elijah's at. And that's where we pick up in verse 13. 2 Kings 6 verse 13. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he's in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by now at night and surrounded the city. So at night they come in and they surround the whole city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out to Starbucks, went out to Dutch Brothers, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he wakes up, he looks out. They're surrounded by the Syrians and they want one thing. They want Elisha. And the servant's like, I chose the wrong boss. I, I'm working for the wrong guy. Gets panicked. And he goes to Elijah, what are we going to do? And notice Elisha's response. So he said, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I'm sure the servant is like, uh, I'm not getting the math here. Like there's two of us. There's hundreds of them. They have chariots. They've got tanks. We're done for. But what does Elisha understand that the servant doesn't? God is with them. And when you're with God, you're in the majority. Because he by himself is the majority. And Elisha knows that God is with them and he's able to say, there's more that's with us than are with them. And he prays, and I think this is a great prayer for us. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountains was full of horses of fire all around Elisha. God had put a protection around Elisha. God's horses and chariots are around Elisha. And this is what the servant needed to see. In verse 18, so when the Syrians came down to Elisha, Elisha prayed to the Lord. Now they're coming to, to take Elisha and Elisha prays 
and said, strike the people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. One prayer to God and all of these Syrian soldiers are blind. If you go on to read, Elisha treats them to Chick-fil-A, the Lord's chicken, and then he sends them back and they never attack Israel again. God is with you. He's for you. What army is surrounding you? If you were to take a situation and describe it and say, this is where I feel surrounded. This is what's causing me to be fearful and frustrated. I feel like that there's no way out. This is what I want you to do. I want you to understand that Jesus is with you in the midst of that challenge and that battle. And you are not overwhelmed by the army that's coming against you. You're not outnumbered by the army that's coming against you because the presence of God is with you. Throughout the Bible, the answer to fear is always the presence of God. God says, don't be afraid for I am with you. I've shared some about my older brother and my younger sister uh, growing up, but my older brother, he's a little bit taller and a lot stronger. So growing up as a kid at school, I didn't have a lot of fear because of my older brother. He had a policy that he was the only one that was allowed to beat up on me. That was, that was his job uh, to do. And there were several times that, you know, we would get into some scrapes playing pickup football at, at recess and some kid would start picking on me, an older kid, and my brother would end that. You know, we'd go into the hall to go back into class, and then he would just lay that kid out. So I walked through school with a lot of confidence, uh, not because of myself, but because of my older brother. It's like, you want to mess with this? Come on over here, right, you know? <laughs> and we can go through life, not pride in ourselves, but trusting, man, God is with me. And if God is with me and he's for me, then who's against, be against me? There's not going to be one moment in your life as a believer that God will not be with you. Jesus has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is present in the challenges that we're going through uh, this morning. So let's go back to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 32. Verse 32 is a real anchor for our souls proving to us that God is for us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When we're in the midst of a very difficult situation, a can-kicking blow, when we can't see, it's hard to hold on to the character of God. We know it in our minds, but we're so discouraged, we can move to a place of despair. Many times, verse 32 has anchored me, and this is why. Because my circumstances may be difficult, but I know that God is for me because he didn't spare his own son. So we look to the cross. We go back to the cross, and we look at what Jesus did for us. We look at his hands that were nailed, his feet, the crown of thorns, him being beaten for our sins. He was willing to go to the cross for us. The father was willing to send his son to the cross for us. So God, I don't understand this trial that I'm in, but I do trust your character because you've displayed it. You didn't spare your own son for me. And if you gave me your son, then I know that you're gonna freely give me 
all things. And the idea here is that God will freely give us all good things. We have a loving father that's not going to hold back from us. And from his perspective, from what he sees from all of eternity past, all eternity future, he's saying, I'm allowing this in your life. I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to conform you to the image of Christ. And we're able to hold on to the fact that his favor is towards us. His love, his kindness, his smile is towards us because he didn't spare his son for us. So so with his son, he's going to freely give us all good things. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies There may be many who try to bring a charge against God's elect, against God's children, but God alone has the position to condemn. Who's the one who condemns? Well, it's God alone. Who's the one that's going to send someone to hell for all of eternity? It's God. He has the holiness. He has the authority. It's his place. It's his his position. Nobody else is going to be able to do that. Who brings a charge against God? God's elect? Who who is the one who brings condemnation? God is the one who justifies. Instead of God bringing condemnation, when we trust Christ for salvation, he brings forgiveness in our lives. And verse 34 declares that. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Remember Romans 8.1? There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. How do we rest and know that there's no condemnation, that God is not sending us to hell? Our faith in Christ, and Christ is the one who justifies. He, He has justified us. Not only has he justified us, but he is making intercession for us to the Father. He's bringing up our weakness, our our need, the intervention of the Father's help in our lives. If you don't feel loved by God this morning, just take this in for a moment. Jesus is praying for you. The book of Hebrews tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. The Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. We learned that earlier in Romans chapter 8. And Jesus is interceding on our behalf. I wonder what this looks like and and what this sounds like as Jesus knows us and knows our weaknesses and our sin and our shortcomings and, and then takes time to lift us up before the Father to be able to intercede on our behalf. So we're more than conquerors because of God's favor towards us. God's with us. Who can be against us? He's proven his favor by giving us his son. Jesus is the one who who justifies and he's praying for us. He's ever living to make intercession on our uh, behalf. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a good question. Who can separate you from, from Christ's love? So Paul starts going through some possibilities. Says, shall tribulation. Is tribulation going to take you from God's love? No. Or distress? Is there any distress that will remove you from God's love? Or persecution? No. Or or famine or possibly COVID? Will will COVID remove you from God's love? No. Or, Or nakedness? What if you lose everything to the point where you're not even able to 
have clothes. Still doesn't remove you from God's love or peril or sword or a gun. Any act of violence, can, can that remove you from God's love? No. In verse 36, as it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. This is confusing for us because God being for us and God loving us, we're quick to assume that he's not going to allow trial in our lives, that he's not going to allow persecution. But yet Paul and these group of believers are living through tremendous amounts of persecution. And Paul quotes from Psalms 44 and says, nothing can separate me from God's love, but this doesn't make me immune from trial. This doesn't make me immune from persecution. In fact, God turns us over to persecution in verse 36. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Jesus was crucified. We're following in his footsteps. A Christ-rejecting world doesn't always appreciate the light of the gospel. So we're more than conquerors, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of, of persecution, in verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors through his love. Through his love. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. So persecution doesn't have to defeat us. Suffering doesn't have to defeat us. Sword doesn't have to defeat us. Nakedness doesn't have to defeat us. Our circumstance does not have to defeat us. We can go through our Christian life allowing our circumstances to win the day. If our circumstances are good, we're good. But if our circumstances are bad, we're not so good. So we go through our days on this roller coaster of our circumstances. And that's where I tend to live way too often, if I'm honest, right? But what God's teaching us in Romans chapter 8 is we can have difficult circumstances, even persecution, and be more than conquerors through him who loves us. Because as we're going through the difficulty, we're still loved by Christ. So I don't like this. I wouldn't choose this. But Christ, you love me. And your love is my satisfaction. And Christ, you're with me. So since you're with me and you love me and you've graciously forgiven me, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not my health, not my circumstance, not my finances, not my relationships. It's you. It's you. And when we come to this place of finding ourselves satisfied in God's love, becoming more than conquerors, this is ultimate security. We long for, for ultimate security. We're looking for it, aren't we? Well, we're not going to find it in our government. I don't know if you've realized that or not. But hear me out on this. I think it's really important more so than ever for us as believers to be involved in the political process. Like Know what's going on. Know the issues. Get, in, get involved in voting. Vote biblically. Be the salt in that, that aspect. But even in light of that, our security is not going to come from, from the government. Maybe you're putting your security in relationships. Relationships are great. 
And God blesses us with, with lots of really good relationships. But relationships are not our ultimate security. People die, don't they? And people let us down. And they sin. And we're going to sin against others. Relationships aren't the, the ultimate security. Is your ultimate security in the stock market? I hope not, right? Inflation's going crazy. I mean, how much higher can it go? I read an article recently that groceries went up 9% last year and already a 10% this year in six months. So that's 20%. Last Memorial Day, groceries were 20% cheaper. Went to buy a watermelon, it was 10 bucks. One watermelon, 10 bucks, right? We're starting to get this message, man, security is not in our finances, but where's our security? It's in the love of God. If we put our roots there, we're more than conquerors. We go on to verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says that death and life cannot separate him from God's love. If he dies, he's in God's love. If he lives, he's in God's love. Angels, nor demons, nor powers can separate him from God's love. There's no demonic realm that can separate him from God's love. There's no power. There's no boss that can separate you from God's love. There's no governor. There's no president. There's no Nero that can separate you from God's love. There's no power that can separate you from God's love. The things that are going on in our lives presently cannot separate us from, from God's love, nor the things to come. Sometimes I worry about the things to come in different shapes and sizes. But whatever comes, it can't separate me from God's love. No height, no depth can separate us from God's love. Nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of our God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. One of the most important things about our relationship with God is knowing that he loves us. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But oftentimes, we really struggle with believing that God really loves us or maybe likes us. Somehow we've got this weird idea, well, well God loves me, but he doesn't really like me. That's stupid, right? That's just dumb. We're talking about God, you know? God loves us, and his favor is, is towards us. He's proven it on the cross, and you may have noticed it at the beginning of verse 38, but Paul says, for I am persuaded. I'm persuaded. I'm con fully convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And are we fully convinced? Sometimes we preach God's love to others. We share God's love with others. But somewhere in our hearts, there's this place where we're going, I'm not sure if God loves me. Maybe it's because of a sin that we have committed or struggled with, or it's a circumstance that we're going through in our lives. This may have been a process for Paul to get here. 
Maybe five years prior, it would have been difficult for him to say, I'm fully convinced that God loved me. But at this point, he's able to say, this is what I know. God loves me. And nothing can separate me from from God's love. And I would encourage you to press into that this morning. To wrestle that with the Lord and allow your roots to go deep in the truth that God loves you. Why are you fighting his love? What is it that causes you to to doubt his his love for you? And allow God to, to love you. Allow yourself to be secure in God's love. John the disciple, in the Gospel of John, he never refers to his own name, his given name, John. He only refers to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Like, maybe that sounds a little arrogant. No, he got it. He understood it. I'm loved by God. I don't deserve it. I can't change it. He chose to love me with unconditional love. He proved it on the cross. So whatever my circumstance, I'm secure in God's love. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for loving us. We really don't deserve it. Thank you for displaying it so clearly in the gift of your son. And we know your love, but we want to know it in a greater way. Would you help us to know the height and the depth and the width of your love that passes knowledge and where we're doubting your love? Would you be gracious to affirm us afresh in your love? For those that have never trusted you for salvation. God, you're calling them. You desire for them to be saved. And we pray that this morning would be that moment of decision, the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.